Cinema Noire. I'm your host, Chuck, joined by Justin. And we're continuing our true crime month. And like I said last week, doubling down on that Mark Ruffalo. He's just here. He's everywhere. This is also he's another. Just here. <laughs> he's just here. He's not important to the story at all. It's it's not like his character dies or anything. Another film with a good trio leading the way uh, of him, Steve Carell, and Channing Tatum. And we're talking about the film Foxcatcher from, uh, what was this, is this 2014? It is. Okay. I thought I thought that's what the date was. We probably saw it t- uh, 2015, though. It's a good movie. It's a good true crime. Directed by... As you said, the the two hundred and forty eighth best director of all time is that what we're is that that was his official <laughs> according ranking? to Cinema Archives. <laughs> he just barely snuck into the top two fifty, but uh, he made it there. Uh, Bennett Miller, who is weirdly has only directed three things. This was the last film he's directed. The other two films are Capote and Moneyball. They were all they're all very successful, very popular had a lot of award nominations i don't know why this guy doesn't direct more movies because all three movies that he's directed i think are good i didn't realize i had a friend that literally posted a picture online he was at an art thing in new york i believe and and bennett miller was there and i'm like hey we're actually going to be talking about one of his movies next week brad pitt was also there so it was kind of exciting for him when I looked it up, I didn't realize that Foxcatcher was his last movie. So he uh, hasn't yeah. made a movie in 10 years. Apparently he's working on a documentary for something, but yeah, and I think that when I I looked up probably the same thing you did and I think that was I think that said as of like 2020 or something. So that's even like 4 years out of date talking about whatever his most recent project is like I I'm not sure if it's a it, him getting having trouble getting funded or just he can't figure out a project he wants to work on or something but it's I do find it very odd that he directed three very critically acclaimed and financially successful films and then just stopped all of a sudden like he pulled a real Terrence Malick like maybe maybe in another 10 years he's all of a sudden going to come back and hey Malick did 20 so he's got another 10 years to go yeah, yeah, he's gonna come out of nowhere, but because uh, like I said, I I think his other two movies are good too. Capote's good, and uh, I think my I still have to watch Capote. I have it. I've had it probably for ten years, <laughs> and recently I've been wanting to watch it because of the I think the true crime aspect yeah. of this podcast, honestly. And I didn't. I forgot that Bennett Miller was the one that directed it. Yeah. He did yeah, a all documentary. Three, all three of his films are based on true stories. Well, he did a f- another documentary, too, before Capote. The only thing that I think is kind of amazing is, in Capote, who does he have besides Philip Seymour Hoffman? That's a pretty big name for basically your debut film. Yeah. He has to know somebody. Is he a Coppola? Like, yeah, how, how did he secret, get these people? Secret Coppola. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's an- this is another Coppola. Then for his second movie, he's got Brad Pitt. Philip Seymour Hoffman, again, is in Moneyball. Um, Jonah Hill... And I, there's others on there that I'm not thinking, but that's the that's the big uh, Chris Pratt. The, 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 yeah, that's right. I forgot Chris Pratt plays one of the one of the baseball players. Um, and then in this film, we get Channing Tatum, Mark Ruffalo, and Steve Carell. So yeah, the guy's got uh, yeah. It's almost like you're saying, is there something we don't know about this guy that he somehow gets really big actors, like really famous names, to be in his movie, even though he barely directs anything, seemingly. 
You know, I would say for his first movie, it's surprising. But if Capote is as good as it was, and I and I have seen Moneyball, and Moneyball is great, it makes sense why you're getting big names by the time you're doing your third movie. Yeah, so this film is based on the relationship of uh, John Dupont, of the Duponts, as we're told numerous times in this film. Every time someone uh, questions, who? John Dupont, of the Duponts. Uh, and his relationship with the... Uh, the <laughs> do you know who I am? Yeah, do you know I, who I am? I don't. The Duponts? Uh, and his his interesting relationship with the world of... Uh, I don't want to say amateur wrestling, but uh, Olympic Olympic caliber wrestling. And his strange and bizarre uh, obsession with it. And the people involved in it. Uh, he seems to be a person who's had a lot of strange obsessions. He kind of moves from obsession to obsession in his life. Yeah, he picks up hobbies. He has that. He has that whole list of uh, renowned ornithologist, philatelist, philanthropist. <laughs> oh, you memorized the, uh, it. You're pretty yeah, quick. I, I, well, I mean, Channing Tatum. It took Mark Schultz like, a little bit to get that. <laughs> yeah, Channing Tatum only says it like fifty times in that one scene while they're doing cocaine. He <laughs> just keeps bringing it up over <laughs> and over again. But, uh, but yeah, we start this film off with. Uh, Channing Tatum as Mark Schultz, who is an Olympic gold medalist, seems pretty down on his luck. Doesn't really, th- there, there's not really much for for an Olympic gold medalist to do to make money, which I still think is probably primarily the case for a lot of these athletes that do Olympic type sports like track and field. They're not exactly the most. They're not like the NFL where you see these guys week in and week out. They kind of have that real big hype every four years for the games, and then. No one knows for like what maybe for. maybe two or three Olympics, and then they're they can't do it anymore. Yeah, they don't they don't have a huge shelf life, and unless you're unless you manage to somehow become one of the big stars like a Michael Phelps or something like that 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 wins record breaking amounts of medals, then you're kind of quickly forgotten. Which we we see early on when he he does a speaking engagement at a school and gets paid a whole uh, twenty dollars on a check for. I mean, even and in. then. When he's in the bank and they confuse him with his brother who's like defaulted on his account. So neither brother is doing well financially. They're both broke. We see Mark Schultz has like the bare minimum as far as an apartment goes. Yeah, and his and his brother's got a whole family to support. He's got two or three kids at that point and and his wife that he's trying to take care of, so Yeah. And they're like running a gym that's like a broken down, beat up. But that's what they do. They're yeah. still like that's their their plan is to try to survive till the next Olympics. I, I I also really enjoy the the fact that the movie the movie starts out from almost the very beginning of setting it up to be something really really creepy and weird with uh, what's going to happen from uh, when he first talks to his brother when they're training and he's like, "Are you the guy that keeps calling my house and then hanging up <laughs> and not leaving me messages?" Mm-hmm. Like, there's already like something weird going on of like who keeps calling his house and won't talk to him on the phone, won't leave messages, just uh, just leaves him blank calls. Uh, but yeah, he eventually gets connected with with uh, Mr. DuPont to uh, fly out first class to his, his estate, which already, again, kind of seems like it should raise red flags when he's given almost no information from this assistant who just says, oh yeah, this guy wants to meet you. He'll fly you first class. Mark seems to not be at all worried about why this random guy is willing to fly fly him first class without even talking to him 
to just get him to show up at his house. I believe March 1987 is when this starts, so you can't Google the guy. <laughs> just yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the 80s. I don't know who that little, is. He, I mean, he had to get the VHS tape later to tell him who the DuPonts were. He couldn't just Wikipedia that. I wouldn't know who the DuPonts were probably either. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's it. They again, they kind of they kind of make that statement where they keep saying of the Duponts, but it's like it's uh, they're yeah. they they manufacture. He, he's Johnny like Dupont like, of the Duponts. Yeah, yeah, they keep saying that. They weren't like uh, yeah, I feel like they weren't necessarily a household name anyway because they I think they just made chemicals for other businesses that used them and did things with them. But right, uh, they say yeah. ammunition. They made their their wealth through ammunition and chemicals. Yeah. Through he, wars. He meets up uh meets up with Mr. DuPont who yeah, from the very beginning is uh, just kind of the weirdest guy you've ever met in your life. Like he has such a strange uh, strange manner of speaking, a strange way of uh, pretty much everything. Just everything's weird and kind of off about this guy. Just he has he has such a weird cadence right. to the way this he guy talks. is a he's a living breathing red flag and Mark Schultz just ignores that. Yeah. I do really enjoy Steve Carell's performance, although there there are some moments in this film that still really, like, like Michael Scott just, like, can't help but creep into some moments when he's doing weird things, like when they when they celebrate them winning at the World Championships, and he, he does this, like, weird thing where he, he, like, pretends that he fell over from having too much alcohol, mm-hmm. and they try to help him up, and he starts, like, trying to wrestle <laughs> the guys to the floor. Like, that feels like such a weird Michael Scott type thing, and uh, so that There's a, The humor is awkward humor whenever it happens. Yeah. Yeah, any 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 humor in this movie is just weird. Uh, and just very, from the... Uh, I also love the... When he shows up at Mark's... He's staying in the chalet on the property, and he shows up at midnight and just knocks on his window and he's like uh here, here's my book about bird watching and some binoculars you know so you can watch some birds and then he just leaves like it's always it's only randomly shows up for to, to give him a bird watching book and binoculars at midnight uh, one thing about that scene that i liked was that this director he doesn't do a lot of insert shots it you don't see what he's handing him in that moment he does yeah. look down at the bird book like after the fact after John leaves but it's just like dead on like it really settles on John and what he's up to and Mark trying to figure out what the hell he's up to. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a he's got a plan uh John DuPont to uh as he wants to say he wants to beat the Russians cuz they've been dominating the wrestling sports for years now which is is kind of in general i think toward in the middle like 70s to 80s they were dominating a lot of sports that's when they were they were real big in in hockey when you had like the miracle on ice thing they were dominating that for the longest time they dominated gymnastics and it was always kind of the basically like the rocky four was for every sport like they were doing the most just they were pumping all of their money into these uh athletes to make them the greatest at any sport he that probably watched rocky four and that drove him that, yeah he knows he knows how to he knows what they were doing but he uh he's got his ideas yeah this movie i think is the, f- the first time that i watched it was in theaters when it came out a lot of people say everybody kept calling it a slow burn but honestly i feel like every three minutes there's new information thrown at you 
it's kind of mysterious as to what's going on for most of the time. Like, you don't know John's motive at all. Even when they first meet, he's like, you're wondering why I'm here. You're wondering why you're here. Yeah, I am. Well, what do you, what do you want, Mark? Like, just tell me what you're interested in. Which he says he wants to be the best in the world. He wants to win the worlds. And then he wants to go on to the 88 Olympics in Seoul and get gold there. And John's response was that he wants to um, honor Mark. He's And then he brings, that's, yeah, that's what you're talking about. And then he is weird because he says, then he starts bringing up that he's a bird watcher and then he's a patriot. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> he's into birds. He wants, uh, he wants Mark to call him Eagle or Golden Eagle or John or Coach. Anyone's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's a great moment too. The bird watching thing is interesting though because it's not as much of a hobby as he actually went to like he went to school he got a degree in it. Yeah, I, I so, mean, he wrote a book on it. <laughs> I think that he's yeah he's one of those people that obviously grew up rich and he doesn't have a place like he obviously is still doing the war stuff because they keep you know they bring him the fucking tank and they keep showing him like firearms and shit like that. So he still is manufacturing or doing some degree of some sort of warfare sales. The tank scene and then is another mom... that's like such an awkward comedy scene too of, it was supposed to have a machine gun. Yeah, the where's the like, 55 caliber machine uh, gun at? The guy's like reading the invoice. He's like, I don't see anything. And he just slaps his clipboard out of his hand. And he's like, he's like get the gun. <laughs> and they, they do. Later they bring him the gun. Yeah, they, they get him that 50 cal machine gun. But now Foxcatcher Farms, which is like the, it's this huge family estate outside of Philly, Philly. The only thing that's really happening is like hobby-ish stuff. He has got, he built a top of the line wrestling facility. I, it's not in the movie, but I know that he has like an Olympic pool there too. Yeah. His mom's huge into all the, like the horse competitions, horse show stuff, not, uh. I think races are included, but also more like formal. Like it's just more stuff like, like yeah, the, the horse showing and stuff like that. It seems. <laughs> but horses are stupid. Or... Horses, yeah, I was. I, I that's all I think about now is horses are stupid. Yeah, yeah he's he's obsessed, and he and he wants. He, he says things like like yeah, I want to honor guys like Mark and Dave Schultz, uh, but clearly he just wants the trophies for himself. I mean, he takes their medals, and he's like, I'm going to put these in my trophy case. Like, basically the same way, uh, you know, you could view that the same way as they put the they put the trophies for the horses in the case, like their livestock, basically, and that's how he views, that's how it seems like it's putting that he views these guys as his his livestock, that they're, they're his wrestlers. So he's like, these are my medals because you wrestled, you trained in my facility, so I should have these medals and put them in my case. I mean, he he is the owner of Fox, of the team Foxcatcher, and he essentially is the owner ish of the Olympic team. Even though really he's just funding it, he's he's actually giving them half a million dollars a year to have the honor to have them on his property. When we get to that part of the movie, but he wants to be a coach. Like he wants, it, and early on in the movie, we see Mark teaching him about wrestling. He did wrestling as a kid or something, but. Oh God! Like, oh, there's so many things in this movie that make me think of, like Mr. Burns. Like, there's that, there's that scene when he's 
actually wrestling and he wins the the gold medal and his and he shows his mom yeah and his mom's like is this the the event that you funded yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah, that like that so guy just like let him like, win like i so you so you probably paid to to have this <laughs> i love her reaction too to the tr- this trophy says eagle dupont and he's just like yeah like like that's my that's what they call me which is which again yeah. is clearly obviously he made his own nickname that he wants people to call him like there's absolutely no one that ever originally was like i'm gonna call you eagle unless it's unless not it was shot I, it almost feels yeah. like unless somebody was making more of a joke about like your nose is huge like Sam Eagle or something like that like unless somebody made fun of him in that way and he's it, it he could have been like, I don't think so I think that I think he, he made his own nickname yeah. he likes birds I he I think he came up with the bird name and there's like it's not really like a huge reveal at the end but there's a scene where he writes a speech for Channing Tatum to say and he he calls him Eagle in it yeah. and everything. You find out later that he's making this video basically to show off himself as the coach of the U.S. Olympics team. And they do, they, do, they cut to that scene where he's like, you know, my, my good friend Eagle. <laughs> like, like, he, like, tricked him into say, saying all this stuff. And obviously, I don't think that, obviously, Dave seems to be more educated than Mark is educated. Dave really seems to catch on like this guy's weird and maybe we should keep our distance from him or keep our guard up because something is just not right I don't know what's going on I mean like he showed up when he showed up too and he goes out to the chalet or whatever and the I think is that the Anthony Michael Hall scene where he he tells him the rules like the horses are off limits the the gym is only available at gym hours and then he gives him a VHS tape about the history of the DuPonts which is in like there's a lot of shots in this movie that are literally just televisions showing stuff yeah. something being watched yeah i don't know and there's some, there's just something so weird about like the training where the training is like i'm sure this is pr- pretty accurate as to what these people were doing for training but it's really funny to watch them train where they just get into like random squat walks and shadow boxing and running it's it makes me think of like the people that what was that show about alaska where the guy's name was bear and he was just oh, yeah. really extreme or whatever yeah i run everywhere <laughs> yeah. everyone else is like we're yeah. gonna take the car he's like i'll meet you there and just starts running through the woods there's always those really those few like really awkward scenes where it's it's uh like channing tatum showing uh showing him how to wrestle john dupont and it's it's just like really awkward like he's just kind of like flopping on top of him and he's like yeah so i i, I got you in the I got you in the hold, right, or something like that. And, uh, and Channing Tatum's just like, yeah, yeah, you're you're totally doing it right. That's that's exactly how you do it. They do have that one scene that's like midway through the movie that I thought he was getting raped or something. I, I mean, it was shot like a rape scene, even if he wasn't getting raped. Uh, he wakes up Mark in the middle of the night, and then they're like in his office wrestling. But like, they literally are wrestling, <laughs> like. Mark's just laying on the ground like he's intoxicated or something, letting letting John do all these wrestle moves on him, yeah. and and then it's over. I mean, then it gets into like a weird pseudo lover aspect where he's like cutting his hair, and he now he now um, Mark has frosted tips, <laughs> and I know that this really Mark Schultz, the actual living being, Mark Schultz, like fucking hated this 
when he when the movie came out and everybody was talking about like the homosexual tones and he's just like flipped out and he's like you know wrestlers aren't vulnerable this is this is bullshit nothing happened between us you're you're making shit like he threatened to kill the director Bennett Miller and then he said later that he didn't understand Twitter and he thought he was only only like 30 people could read that that he was friends with he thought he was typing all of his stuff into a into just a word document to himself right I think at the end of the day he said he can't judge it because it's not identical to his life and he doesn't really know how to take it so he's only judging it based off of what other people are saying so he was pretty proud of it going all the way up to the academy awards he went to the academy awards with bennett and uh, he's like people tell told him that they love the movie and he's like shocked that they actually saw saw like a completely different movie than him it is a and that's what i'll say it is a good movie and i do really like it i do think that if you watch this movie and you enjoy it definitely watch the the netflix documentary because the netflix documentary honestly as much weird stuff as happens in this movie it doesn't even remotely get close to like the real strange things that happen with with john dupont there's so many stories in that movie that are so in the documentary that are so much weirder than what happened as portrayed in the movie do they mention when they talk about mrs dupont if you see mrs dupont don't talk to mrs dupont i thought it was his wife and we never see his wife we only see his mom had a wife yeah he, he did have a wife he had a wife at that exact time he Not met her the documentary either he got it annulled like after 90 days yeah, well then, but yeah. she's literally there in 1987 because the divorce didn't go through until 88 so well, like then, they are so none of, that's <laughs> that's where the movie that's where the movie i would say it does it does confuse things because the timeline's not correct to the to real life because none of the stuff happened uh, with uh, Dave Schultz till 1988 so that would have been after uh, that would have been after um, like all the events in the film technically would have taken place after she left so that the the timeline of the entire Schultz and DuPont thing is over 10 years even though the movie basically brings it down to like one to two years. So that's where that's like one big difference is is the the length of time that that everything takes place, and Mark and Dave Mark and Dave were never on the Dupont residence at the same time. That's another thing that's oh. weird. They've really, I can I can see why after like I said, watch the documentary because the documentary is really really good. But I can see why like Mark would be mad at the movie because it really yeah. like he's barely like if you watch the documentary and and kind of look up like more of the story he never he was never actually on like dupont's property he never lived there he always lived he was all of his stuff was actually he was the coach of the villanova uh wrestling team which john dupont was funding but he never was like that close to john dupont like it was kind of just he funded the money for that so not as accurate as zodiac was last week no no, this is this is a this is one that strays much further for dramatic effect. Although, like I said, I I would actually say I'm very surprised, and maybe I don't know if maybe Bennett Miller just didn't have access to these because a lot of what they a lot of what the documentary is based on is home movies that were shot by Dave Schultz and his wife, like they're all their mm-hmm. home movies. So I don't know if he didn't have access to even know 
some of this stuff when he was making his film because yeah that and, came no, in the movie you don't even see them having a camera or anything yeah they don't they don't make a big deal about it but he, there's like <laughs> their the family whole... day john it's sunday they're just like playing in leaves yeah. they're like what do people do in the 80s uh, they just played out in the leaves so yeah the mark was there in 86 and then he got fired from the villanova job in like 87 or something like that and then in 88 that's when dave comes and it's like a completely separate thing of them hiring dave and then bringing the the national team in in the movie dave probably does show up in 88 but like you said they are in the movie they are there at the same time yeah after the olympics after 88 mark moves out and dave is still there and dave's there till 96 early 96 when we yeah. get to the cli- <laughs> the climax of this movie so i i actually kind of took it as um when I saw the movie, I thought that it happened much sooner, but more time could have passed. It yeah, just they doesn't. They don't. They don't tell you how much time passes. So I mean, it, yeah, it could. It they could say that. Oh yeah, that was like six years, eight years later in '96 when it happened, but they don't make that that distinction. But uh, yeah, you're missing too. They or, well, you haven't brought it up yet. They shot this in in and around Pittsburgh. Well, DuPont is actually died in Somerset. He was at the prison, the Laurel Highlands prison there. My favorite shot is like within the first five minutes of the movie, they show them going through the, the Layton bridge tunnel that's in Periopolis where I always kayak. And it's just like, it's a cool little tunnel that you drive through and Channing Tatum just drives through it randomly, (laughs) which there's so many little tunnels everywhere. It's believable that it could be, I don't know where he was because it, I think they said that he grew up in Utah, but the dumpster outside of his apartment said Wisconsin, so... Yeah, somewhere midway. Yeah, he, he ends up driving it. I'm actually surprised that he he does bring all his stuff out with him because he didn't have that much stuff to begin with. you think he would have just kind of just left it. Can't afford to Besides his gold medal, him. his, like, prized possession. Yeah. Out of all the weird things that DuPont did in real life, uh, there are some truly bizarre ones. Uh, he did apparently have a... Again, they kind of, like, changed some things to for the movie that are kind of similar to things that happened in, in real life. Like, there's that scene where he brings the gun into the gym and just shoots it into the ceiling for no reason. It's just like, yeah. uh, get the practice in or something like that. And they did say he would, like, walk around with guns randomly at times. Like, he would just he would just one day... Although they did say he would walk around more with, like, rifles and machine guns. Like, not just, not just a, uh, a pistol. Like, he would... He would have full-on, like, heavy-duty guns that he would just walk around with. and His and wife of, we don't see. She was threatened to be uh, shot by him. Yeah, most of the wrestlers, he uh, he talks about not, uh, like, they, they would just say, like, they knew on, almost everyone in the film says they knew something was off about him, but yeah, it was kind of like, he because he was funding all that money to the team, they kind of just ignored it for the most part, but they said, like, they knew on days when they'd see him walking around with a gun, they were like, uh, let's just not go and hang around uh, John today. Like, let's just try to stay somewhere else on the property that he's not going to be at. Because they got they would get super nervous that he would that he would just like uh, other people were just like, I mean, he could be not even trying to. He could just drop that thing and like it'll go off and kill you or something like that. Right. It's uh after the worlds. There's 387 days until Soul because they got the fucking shit on the wall like counting down each day. He walks in with his gun. And he shoots it off, and he's like, you know, we, we got to take this serious, and we got to start training harder. And 
uh, I think at this point he's like, we, we need Dave. We need to get Dave. Yeah, this is, Dave. You're, you're too relaxed here. The Worlds is actually, I'm there, Chuck, as you know. Somewhere in there. Somewhere in that group. I was, a, well, yeah, I, you know, I went to film school, graduated 2009, could not get my foot in the door at all whatsoever, as hard as I tried to get on any of these sets. And when this movie was filming in probably 2013, and I'm working at Lowe's, I said, hell, I'm going to apply for this. And I was one of the, like, the billion extras. And I'm kind of impressed because they moved us through pretty fast. They dressed me to look like the 80s. They cut my hair. They covered my tattoos. And then they put me, like, how far up in the stands where, I, I mean, I might be in a shot, but I can't, for the life of me, figure out where because all the stuff that you see in the movie, when you see Mark fight, um, when you see Dave's fight, and when you see him go up and he hugs, when Mark goes up and he hugs John in the stands, that stuff's like everything that happened when I was there that day. Because they, they didn't, they had to shoot it all in the one day because they couldn't keep, they couldn't afford to pay all the extras to, to be there. But uh, yeah, I remember too, that's the first time I saw Steve Carell, the first time I saw him with that makeup on. I mean, you could tell it was him from a mile away, but he looked fucking weird. Obviously, Channing Tatum had uh, prosthetics too for his ear and everything. But they said that, like, they didn't want us to talk to him because he was method and he was just, he was trying to be serious. Don't break the illusion. He walked up near us, and one guy's like, your pant leg is stuck in your sock. And he just started laughing. Like, he totally broke out of his character in, like, two seconds. Like, oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Pulled it out of his sock. And, and and watching this movie, too, there are a lot of Pittsburgher, actually, like, crew people that I know now. We see Brad, our buddy Brad, who's been on the podcast. Yeah. Did you see him standing in the background? I might have missed it. I think I wrote it down. I just wrote, Brad. Hold on. <laughs> At the hour 26 minute mark, when they're at the trials before the Olympics, uh, Brad's in the background. I can't remember who he's behind, but it, it's right, Brad. One of the first shots is a, is a, is a well-known electrician. Well, a gaffer that I know. Uh, I don't really rec- I didn't recognize anyone else popping up, but it was weird to see crew in there because usually crew doesn't jump in for extra stuff ar- around here. Like yeah. Brad, if you're listening, we saw I saw you. Y- you pop up in everything and everywhere, buddy. You you popped up when we went to the Still City Con. I remember when we were watching Mindhunter. He's on the plane airplane and Seth's like isn't that the guy that was in our basement I'm like yeah that's Brad <laughs> he's, he's everywhere he's all around us felt like most of the scenes and stuff that you see well that was shot at, at California University in Pennsylvania that the world's was I don't know where everything else was filmed technically but you could tell that they shot a lot of the same scene like the hotel scene Every time they went to a hotel, it felt like the same room. Like, I know things changed, yeah. but it definitely felt like it was just painted differently or something. They're like, yep, we're just going to use the same structure and, and, and go from there. Just reuse that. Just Yeah, just repaint that room. Make it look exactly the same. When they show, it was called Wexler Gym, I guess. It's the, yeah. the, like, the run-down gym. And then they show the Foxcatcher Gym, which is all nice and everything. I wouldn't be surprised if those are the exact same places. Yeah, the same set. Yeah, they just dressed them up differently. Yeah, could be. On the surface level, it doesn't look like there's a lot going on, but I feel like there's a lot of mystery to all these characters that you pick up on. 
when you see the poster and it's showing all three of them, they are all pretty prominent. I mean, I guess Mark seems to have like the most simplistic arc, really. His arc is that he just wants to be the best at the sport. Although he does get thrown off because like at the beginning, he doesn't drink or anything. Then one day he tries cocaine which won't kill you mark which is actually really funny because it could kill him and uh after that you know you see him drinking all the time he's doing drugs they're hiding the bongs and stuff whenever john shows up there's a weird it's almost like a love triangle between those three characters but it's not a love triangle it's like a jealousy triangle like mark is jealous of dave and he's he's jealous of that attention but at the same time John's way jealous of the relationship that Dave has with Mark. He's jealous of the fact that he probably has a family too. Definitely jealous of the fact that he is a coach and he's actually good at it. It's so so strange. And like when you get to the you get to the trials when they finally get to that scene and Mark's getting all he's all fucked off that his brother showed up. He didn't want his brother coming out there. I don't think he wanted his brother to know that he was as bad as he was on alcohol and all that yeah. stuff. I mean, the minute he knows his brother's showing up, he starts shaving off his frosted tips. He's just like, he's I can't let. Him. And then that scene's actually pretty funny too. When Dave comes out to see him, well, I don't know what you call it. Is it a barn door? Barn door where like yeah, it, it opens door. half. Yeah, he opens the top half, and it's not welcoming at all. Mark's like, well, what are you doing here, Dave? And he's like, well, you know, I came and all the everyone, all the athletes came to see me outside the helicopter. I thought for sure that you would have been there. He's like, oh, that's cool. Uh, what are you doing here? <laughs> and he just, and he like, he locks the door on him when he's like, yeah, I'll be out or whatever. From just that little bit about how Mark acted in real life on Twitter and everything, I think he might have captured that guy pretty well. Like he's quick to just be anger like he's needs anger management uh, or something after, after he does that too i love the uh the scene of him training or when they like when when dave first goes in and he's uh mm. he's like giving his speech and he's and he's uh marks on the leg press and it's yeah. the way they like do the sound design of it's it's way louder than it probably is in real life of it's just like it's drowning out everything he's saying as he keeps uh keeps pressing uh the machine and then when when john goes over it he's just like you gotta you gotta use your core and then he just stops and he, he gets up and wa- walks away from him. he's like yeah yeah <laughs> he, like, that was, that was a good away. yeah yeah he slaps his hand away and then then when he gets up and john just goes good uh that was, that was a good good pump good work it's yeah, such, yeah it's totally the facade too. of of a coach when he's not a coach yeah he he tries to show I mean, up the, for his uh for his mom too when the mom's when the, the mom best scene when his mom comes wheeling wheeling in and it's so awkward where he just pretends to be a coach he's like uh, bring it in guys when he was obviously an observer uh, yeah that up until that moment then as soon as she leaves he's just like um all right yeah what are, should we pair off Dave and Dave's like yeah 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 get into pairs like he immediately takes back over of the of the training session. <laughs> well, I do like when he's on the ground and the guy's on top of him and he looks like he's he's being dominated and his mom just has that look of like, you disgust me. And then they wheel her out. She, I mean, she does say too, she's like, wrestling is, is a low sport or something like that, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess it is. I mean, That's what Darren Aronofsky said when he did his uh, The Wrestler and The Black Swan back to back. He's like, that's about athletes. One's the low side, one's the high side. <laughs> Wrestling was the low side. 
It's weird watching this movie almost right after watching The Iron Claw also. So get ready for another wrestling biopic. Although this is more, I, I don't know what I would, how would you describe the difference between this professional wrestling, which is like showy, like the wrestler and everything, to this wrestling, which is, is actually about pinning the person. This is actually like a real sport, I would say. It's got rules. It's got it's got actual scoring to it. It's not just based on who's the, who talks the best. Because I guess I guess you'd learn that Channing Tatum would not win because he doesn't seem to doesn't seem to be able to do very much public speaking very well. He's not a he's, he doesn't seem to be a very charismatic guy naturally. Which I'd say that's like another jealousy that he's jealous of his brother who seems like everything's so effortless to get people to like him all he has to do is just be there and people are like i really like that dave but like people see mark and they're like i don't know about that guy i don't know if i want to talk to him and i mean he does kind of for the short time before dave is there mark is in somewhat control of what of over top of the other athletes there yeah. because there's that scene where he comes when they were doing like the drugs and shit and john's like what, what are you doing why aren't you at the gym it's noon and he's like, oh, well, we were going to double up tonight. Well, who made that decision? And Mark says, oh, well, I made that decision. So the guys are following Mark. I don't know anything about the other people there. I mean, I know that he's had other Olympic athletes there. And he and he does get the U.S. team there before Seoul, like after the trials, like they start training out there. So I don't even know what happened to the other athletes. Like if he was training, the like all the people that was training with Mark – after the trials, if they didn't make it, were they gone? And now he had the Olympic team there? Like, he definitely had the Olympic team there. I'm sure he wasn't paying any attention to the losers, though. Well, as he would call he, them uh, that. Like I said, the, I, <laughs> you get see, you get your answers in the documentary. He does have, like, the whole Olympic team. He had the other guys that were... There were other guys that were Olympic gold medalists that were there. Because I don't, I don't know what, the, what weight class the two of them would be in. Because I don't think him and Dave are definitely two different weights because i think they won gold at the same olympics together so they were obviously in two different weight classes and they had some other some other guys that won gold that were there too at the same time and kept training although another weird another weird uh thing with john dupont is and i think this was after his mother died at some point because they do mention in the in the documentary that that's when he he was always seemed weird but after his mother died they said it like did seem to get worse when he was like in the house by himself and didn't have anybody to talk to or something like that that he started getting weirder but one of the things was that he he got a uh, like a phobia of the color black and he had you had <laughs> to get rid of he sold all the black horses one of the wrestlers had a black car and he told him he had to get rid of it uh and he also fired all the black wrestlers from the from the team and told them all to leave and like and, like, and I, I think someone said he flat out said he's like he's like it has nothing to do with their race i just can't have the color black around me anymore and like it was it was every single thing that was black had to be gone from from the property he was like he just got that's just another weird thing that he that he had going on with him they don't they don't go into this in the in this movie but he also he at the same time he sponsored the american team he was also sponsoring the bulgarian team because he oh, claimed wow. that he was uh he was bulgarian and he said that's where he got his power and strength was his bulgarian heritage and they're like dupont's a french name they're like that's the most french family that's ever existed in america i feel like he brings up bulgaria for some reason in the movie I don't know, maybe. I, one of the guys might be wrestling. 
another guy from Bulgaria because he did have he had the no. Whole, it's like a scene where he says like I feel like he had a conference or something something where he was talking to like a Bul- Bulgarians or something like he bring it's one of the times where he brings up like I had to go do this speech you know when he was like kind of in and out I think yeah. in the beginning he does that yeah that's 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 like a weird he has pretty much the entire American team and then he did have one Bulgarian wrestler that was at the uh, was it fox catcher which there seems to be in real life that almost seems to be more of the what what the mark character is because they did that's the guy who actually he willed all of his fortune to is this bulgarian wrestler and that almost seems to be more in the documentary the mark character in this film because they talked about how him and him and dave schultz were like best friends because they wrestled together and like dave spoke russian which this guy also spoke russian uh from living living that close they both spoke russian and they said they were like inseparable best friends from different countries and they said he got dupont got like really jealous and he, he they said like there would be most days where he's like the guy's name was valentine and he'd be like i just want valentine at the house i don't want anyone else at the house like just me and valentine are hanging out or something so i think valentine's in the movie like they mentioned a valentine like i said it's probably one of the other wrestlers that they're with at some point but he's not a major major character is in the in the film as he is in real life it's really sad like they don't obviously for the most part the movie follows mark around but then it does kind of break it up between john and dave and i when i say break it up like there are scenes where literally them by themselves or you know john's with his mom or something like that so those are the three characters that are always in a scene i don't really think that you see any scene that doesn't have something to do with one of them yeah. But I want to note the scene where he's at the trials and he he fucks up and he loses the one round. Dave's trying to console him and say, hey, this is, you know, best out of three. You win two more. We got this. And he locks himself in his room and he just binges on junk food. He busts things up. He busts his face up in a mirror. It's, it's his Orson Welles moment from Citizen yeah. Kane. You're just <laughs> busting everything up in the summer. Dave busts in. He, like, consoles him, and then they're puking it up, puking up all the junk, and he says that they have 90 minutes to lose 12 pounds. Like, he's he's over 12 pounds. They have 90 minutes to lose 12 pounds. So he's on an exercise bike, like, sweating it off as he's, like, pedaling as hard as he can. That's the first time you really see this big conflict between John and Dave, which uh, you don't even hear the conversation. It's You see it from Mark's point of view while they're talking outside of a door. That scene is weird to me where they re-weigh him. He's like butt-ass naked to make the to drop the 12 pounds to be able to do, to be in that weight class. Or maybe he did it to switch a weight class. So like that's the thing I find confusing cuz they weighed them and then they went into the comp- they went into the trials. So why would he all of a sudden be like you're over by 12 pounds and then they're re-weighing him? I don't understand the logistics of what the hell that would be. Like, he either went to another division or they cut out something for where they were like, we have to weigh you again. Because, like, who the hell is going to change 12 pounds? I mean, I guess I guess Mark Schultz will. Yeah, he did. But who's going to change 12 pounds in 90 minutes, you know? know. You got to get on the Mark Schultz diet. That, yeah, it's a weird moment. Yeah, he's got to – he gets in the sweatsuit and sweats it all out, which I'm like – The exercise bike's, like, in the middle of the hallway. <laughs> like, it's such I a weird – yeah. I don't know. I've seen, I've seen in like real life situations where people have had to lose like 
uh, maybe like one to two pounds in an hour or something to to make sure that they that they make their weight. But I don't know. You could probably lose. You could probably lose pounds. that. You might even be able to lose up to like five pounds if you basically like. <laughs> Because it's mostly you're just burning off, like, sweat out all your fluids, mostly, like water. Yeah, it's that's like there's no way you have 12 pounds of fluids in you, and that and well, I mean for those people, pounds over that was after he already like puked up all the food. Right. Well, I, I kind of took it at first that he was puking up the food. I mean, it would help lose whatever weight he put on just eating that, like just sitting in his stomach. But I took it as like let's puke it up before those calories hit, <laughs> like yeah. a bulimic. Let's not let that into your body. Let's get all that junk out as quickly as we can. I have to say another strange thing that that I found very odd was as much as you think that like him calling himself Eagle is like just kind of a silly thing in the documentary. Every other person in that movie is always like every time they have a home movie they go Eagle, Eagle's there. They have like signs hanging up that's like happy birthday eagle like every single person did call him Anthony eagle. Michael Hall calls him eagle for sure. It's everybody. It's it, like I said in that documentary every time they have a home video there's like four or five people in one shot that are all going what's up eagle eagle how's it going? I was like man he really he really did go hard into telling people to call him eagle and was not joking about it in the slightest. Like they don't they don't really do it in the in the movie other than that one scene and when he puts it on like the and the speech thing but for the most part when people are talking to him throughout the film they either just say like john or something like that or mr dupont but like i've only heard one person call him eagle in the whole movie like uh, yeah i think it was anthony michael hall walking in and being like eagle we need you like uh, yeah other than the speech or something like that or when he does when he kind of like writes it himself but it was in that movie Almost to I and I I have a feeling that's why they they might not have done it in the movie because it does become almost comical when you keep seeing these things and they just keep going what up eagle and I'm like it would be it would just turn it into too much of a comedy if everyone like dead serious just kept going eagle my man eagle I mean it made me think of the other guys where he's like my my friend people call me Gator it's just so ridiculous it reminds me of, of a friend of ours an ex-friend of ours people call me this nobody calls you that you call yourself that it's funny because that there's that scene where he has the trophies and he's like get the tr get those horse trophies out of here this is going to become my wrestling trophy wall yeah the horses are stupid but then his mom dies and he lets all the horses go i mean at least that's how the scene looked he just like let them off his property i think probably all got hit by cars <laughs> running off they, they probably did he i like how they all had the things on their faces still so like if you saw them in the wild you'd, you'd be like well that's a that's a domesticated horse or broken in horse but i was gonna say it's a tragedy all around for all the characters even if we didn't even get the climax of this movie <laughs> like it's really fucked up you got date or mark's story i'll start with mark mark's story is that the height of his life was the 1984 olympics where he got gold and uh I guess he did good at the Worlds, but he obviously failed at the 88 Olympics, and he got, like, sixth place or something like that, he so said, he didn't he even... He, he says he purposely threw the 88 Olympics because he hated that John DuPont was there or something like that, that he that he purposely didn't want to win because it would be credited to to John DuPont. I mean, I guess you depends on how you take it. I kind of don't believe that. I believe that he's super competitive. I feel like... There was something else going on with him, and it wasn't just the DuPont stuff. Because maybe real life, but at the same time, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the movie can only go so far as to be like, there's a jealousy thing going on. 
But it seemed to me like, I mean, as far as that goes, once he started getting into the alcohol and the drugs and stuff, that's where he kind of stopped caring, uh, you know, as much as he could. Still kind of fueled by jealousy and rage, though. I'll jump to Dave. Dave's story. Dave's, like, down on his luck. He finds some sort of job. Maybe you know what it is. Te- was he teaching at another gym in uh, Denver? Well, or Colorado somewhere? Yeah, something. Yeah, something coaching. And he, he act like he couldn't be bought, but... Uh, more or less he's bought he is bought we're never told how much money i don't know if it was good for the time but mark says john said name my price and i said twenty five thousand. so i get paid twenty five thousand dollars a year dave's not interested in joining he's it's sort of like a red flag to him at that point there's a scene later where mark is talking to to dave who dave's out there to see his brother and to work with his brother and mark's like i want out and Dave says, listen, we've been in this for too long. We can't jump out now. And Mark says, well, what about after the Olympics? After the Olympics, can I leave? And he has that weird response about, well, that's the future. We, we don't know how that's going to hold yet. Because there's kind of a hold over Dave's head as far as the money goes. I think he doesn't want, he, he, he doesn't realize how much he's putting at risk. Obviously, they know something's wrong with DuPont. He sticks around, essentially, because he's making a good living. And he has, like, everything's being taken care of for him out there. I mean, as far as the movie portrays. And then you got poor-ass John, who's like... I mean, his story's not as as interesting, I would say. You know, a rich guy that kind of grew into the family's um, wealth. He has brothers and sisters and stuff like that, but I don't know what everyone does, but essentially they're hobbyists and then they're, and they don't, they're not making a name for themselves. His whole story is just sad that he's trying to be the, the coach of this team when he's not really, he's not really a mentor like he wants to be or like verbatim, you know, wants Dave to say in that story. That That's the saddest moment. I think when Dave's doing that video for the videographer, you got to talk to me about what uh, John does. And he starts laughing like John doesn't fucking do anything. And he's like, you got to say he's your mentor or something. And he basically like gives up and says, yeah, he's he's like a mentor to me. And cut. Dave's like lost at that point. He's alive, but he's lost. He's a mentor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you just keep constantly picking up information about all these characters. I think I, I don't obviously you liked Capote, the movie. See, I do feel like, I mean, I know he's the 248th best director of all time. <laughs> I do like Moneyball, and I do like Foxcatcher a lot. He's really good with actors. He doesn't seem to focus on a lot of crap. that uh, He's not, like, interested in making the scenes crazy. It's not Spike Lee. You're not seeing canted angles at all. Everything's pretty minimal. Like, in, this, in Foxcatcher, I was surprised when... Mark was running through the woods and he saw his mother and he used the binoculars to see John's mother. And we had that like close up of her, which was obviously the perspective of the binoculars. He didn't do anything crazy to make it look like the perspective of binoculars. Uh, I'm surprised we even got that point of view shot because there's not a lot of point of view shots in this movie at all. And then like some of the other things like, I mean, he does show it at the end, but on Dave writes on his hand, pick up kids. There's like, it's like halfway through the movie or something like that. You see the pick up kids like he needs that or he'll literally forget to pick up his own children. Yeah. It's not something that they show in a close up or anything until after the fact that he's like gets murdered. <laughs> you know, that's a wild scene, too, when you kind of get to the end of it. I knew going in when we saw the movie in theaters, I knew that DuPont murdered one of them, but I didn't know who it was. 
I don't even who's the m- m- more interesting character do you think in this movie? I mean, Channing Tatum's Mark Schultz is, is the protagonist of the movie. Yeah, for most of it, he's he's the main character. That's the only thing I feel like this movie has a weird balance issue because it feels like, obviously, Dave's the one that gets killed, but it feels like he has the least screen time. Like, I didn't sit there and time it, but it feels like he's there the least amount of time because the first, it's a two-hour and, like, 15-minute movie. And for more than the first half, it's mostly Channing Tatum and Steve It's the Carell. shortest movie in this theme that we're talking about. <laughs> it's the shortest one, and it's still it's still a decent length of movie. But it feels like there's just not enough screen time for Dave. Like, we just don't get... We get a lot out of him, though, when he is in the movie. Like, I think Mark Ruffalo's really good in this role, though. If I didn't know that, that that's just how Mark Ruffalo actually sounds. In the documentary, like, Dave Schultz sounds a lot like Mark Ruffalo to begin with, because they... They even show that video of him doing that that sit-down interview. They show that that actual thing of him being like, yeah, John's a mentor to me. Like, it's in the documentary, that actual same clip. And he sounds and looks identical to Mark Ruffalo. Like, I think Mark Ruffalo probably did probably did a better job. Steve Carell doesn't necessarily hit everything the same way. His accent gets lost. He has an accent when you first, like, meet him. And then it comes and goes. He has, like, yeah. almost a Pittsburgh accent. He, yeah, he doesn't always hit, like, the, the exact same. He he kind of has the same vocal, like, like, the way he talks, like, the cadence that he talks, and that real slow, uh, like, just doesn't. Sometimes it seems, like, almost like he gets stuck on words, but he's not stuttering, but he just goes, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, that was, like, a lot of those clips of the real John DuPont, he kind of does that same thing, too, where he's, like, very much, like, stop-start with his with the way he talks but the vocal is not exactly the same and he does have like kind of the big nose and is like generally kind of kind of really out of he does look like him the prosthetics kind of sickly are spot on yeah so overall but the character that i think has the most i don't know i don't even want to say like range like there's we do get a lot from of john dupont he's in the movie for so much but yeah i wish there was a little bit more of dave like if he came in the movie a little bit earlier than he than he does in the story and we got just a little bit more out of him well i do think it's fine that he dies i mean that's what happened in real i like like i'm fine that he dies like like maybe they would have for him not being the the protagonist like him not being the protagonist and dying should have some sort of emotional response from mark but Mark's not an emotional person, so the resolution of the movie that you get from Mark is just sort of, he's going to keep on going until he dies. Like, uh, like I'm not going to let this stuff affect me. I'm not going to let people see that this affects me. Like, that's kind of the feeling I got from Mark at the end of the movie. Yeah. But yeah, it does kind of have to split up because Mark's not even there when this happens. Yeah. The witnesses are... Dave's wife and, and that security guy yeah. that's like what the fuck are you doing or like you know yeah. what, what the... that scene too is just like I, I don't know it's so awkward where he's just like do you got a problem with me and he pulls the gun out and you're just like what the fuck is happening uh, yeah they cut to like in the film they just the cops just catch him and he's he's like cutting through like a back hallway behind the gym or something like that to get through the property but in the film he, he uh, or in the in real life, he boarded himself up in, in like, a vaulted library that was, like, a kind yeah. of panic room that he had for... And he was in there for 48 hours, and some of the tape recordings are, like, he, he's talking about, like, that he's Jesus Christ, and he's, like, he's, like, when the Savior comes, like, he's, like... He goes, like, really out there at the end of his life, where he... Or at the end of the, uh... 
the, the stand <laughs> probably where he's like he's going he's doing like weird stuff and then like again they play the audio recordings in the documentary and it's funny because he's like he's like it's getting cold in here because they cut the power to the house so the heat wasn't running and this is the middle of winter when this happens and he's like he's like it's getting cold in here can i do you think i could go to the greenhouse to restart the boilers and they're like sure and he's like you guys aren't gonna come get me are you and they're like yeah uh, don't bring your gun with you. And he's like, I won't bring my gun. I'm just gonna go out to the greenhouse. And they immediately arrest him. Like as soon as he, as soon as he tries to go to the greenhouse. See, that's the thing that I think is really funny because it holds true. Where I didn't know how long he was there. I thought he was there even longer than that. But he boarded up in his mansion in a vault where they couldn't get to him. And he's got all these guns and everything. You know, you have these people that I know, my family and stuff, that thinks in that situation that they would be able to, you know, survive in the apocalypse. But, yeah, they just fucking cut his... In the same way, yeah. They just cut his power, and he's... Yeah, they got him when he went to go try to start a heater or fix the heater or something like that. Yeah. I don't even know why he'd go out there. Like, I don't take him as a person that... I mean, I don't really know how smart he is. He might be somebody that's kind of has his accolades from being rich. I don't know. I didn't have the vibe that he was. He could actually start a heater if he wanted to start a heater. <laughs> He'd have his people do it. They were all gone at that point, I guess. They all they all ran off after he after he boarded himself up, probably. I guess. But uh, well, you know what? I wonder too because John drives out and Dave's at the. I don't even know if he's at the chalet, but he's at his house on the property. And he's like, it's Sunday, it's family time. And there's this long fade to black, like it's black for a while, which I wonder if they did that because they knew DuPont hated black. Yeah, that's where it gets real crazy. And it does that, like, you know, warm up the car, let's go, let's go see Dave. And you're just, it's just like, what the fuck is happening? It's so chaotic, and the movie doesn't get into it, but they said he had, like, paranoid schizophrenia. They didn't deem him insane, but they deemed him uh, mentally ill. Like, yeah, it was like it, it was still still guilty, but he was still mentally ill, so he wasn't like hailed as high a standard or something. But yeah, and then he ended up dying in prison. Yeah. Okay, this is a story that I, I thought it was funny. This is apparently from Mark Schultz's book. He said that he heard from Dave and other uh, other Dupont people that uh, Dupont believed that there were spirits and spies in the mansion, and he ordered treadmills to be yeah. removed. Oh, where's his story? Oh, yeah, he believed that clocks were transporting him back in time, he said. He communicated with rocks. Oh, I didn't snapshot the right story. Oh, here it is. In an October 2015 podcast, Mark Schultz revealed that when DuPont was about 30 years old, DuPont told him this, uh, a horse he was riding threw him onto a fence, resulting in an injury to his testicles. They became infected and had to be removed. And then he became... uh, feminine or something i just think that like where did that story come from he's like he wasn't gay he was just thrown on a fence and lost his testicles yeah i know that's what that's that's what they mentioned like the the weird stuff that yeah he thought there were people in the walls and they kind of seem to blame that the uh the character that anthony michael hall plays because he hired that guy and they kind of said like that he probably should have told him that he was being crazy but he like not that he says he he doesn't say he like fed into the to the lie or the delusion but that like when he'd come to to the guy and say i think there's people in my walls he'd be like okay sir we'll get the equipment and x-ray the walls or something like that like he, he wouldn't necessarily tell him that that's that that's impossible or that that's ridiculous and he would be like i guess we'll do it and they 
that he kept believing things like that were happening because people around him would be like, well, we'll check in on that for you. Well, I mean, when you're getting paid by somebody that rich, you don't, people yeah. don't want to fuck it up for themselves. They said there, there's like another, there's another great story of like he drove his car into a lake or something and like the insurance covered it or something and they just got him a brand new car the next day and that some guy was with him, like a, another businessman or something came to his house and he was like, you want to go for a car ride? And the guy was like, uh, I guess. And they said he just drove right into the lake again, like the next day, the same. And they were like, and again, they're like, every time you hear more and more stories like that and people were like, yeah. I mean, it makes sense why the guy and, shot somebody and, uh, and yeah. But like thought he could get away with that's it. That's why like nobody, nobody seemed to like probably more people could have questioned it. And like, but I, no one flat out says it in the, in the documentary that like maybe if people would have brought this up sooner, but I think it was just all his money that nobody wanted to take it seriously that, that he was doing these weird things. Like they just kept going, ah, he's eccentric. If we ever talk about documentaries, we should probably talk about team box. Yeah. <laughs> just talk about it all over again. We'll throw that in there somewhere. <laughs> It is a good, like I said, it is a good documentary. Fills in a lot of the blanks that the movie has of oh. of those kind of extra things that, that are only hinted at in the film. The movie works by itself. It really does. Like, I feel, I get why they took out all the schizophrenia crazy thing because that would have just been another red flag. And I think it would have made Mark and Dave look so stupid <laughs> to I mean, be like, why are you there? Like I said, like, that's... That's kind of the vibe I got by the end of the documentary is kind of how did how did these guys live on on his property from like we said like 88 is when Dave Schultz shows up and he got shot in 96 so he was there for eight years and it seems like this they're both college graduates and stuff too they're not dumb they're, the yeah. Schultz brothers aren't dumb people like this stuff seems like it was going on for the full eight years of him being like weird and very off-putting and that I, th I think it really was just the money like that's they just were not willing to they were willing to overlook a lot of things for that half a million dollars every year to the to the usa olympic team that they weren't going to get anywhere else that that they, they were willing to really overlook the very strange things that this guy was doing yeah the themes and like the wealth gap and all that stuff are crazy but I like this one quote, uh, I don't even know who said it, but it says, you may feel like you're winning, but you're getting fucked. And I felt like that's the whole kind of premise of this movie, of even if you're winning these championships and stuff, they're just going in deeper and getting themselves more fucked up with all of it. It went to Cannes, and it won Best Director. I feel like it was nominated, it probably says it on the box that I don't have in front of me. I think it was nominated for like five Academy Awards and won was, none of uh, them. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't win any of the Academy Awards. I think they said this was the, I want to say they said it was the first time that, I think he got nominated for Best Director, but the film was not nominated for Best Picture. It was one of those few It occasions. might not have been Best Picture, but it definitely, I think, uh, maybe not, maybe not Channing Tatum. I, I could be wrong, but definitely. Steve Carell. Definitely those two, yeah. And it might have been like, I think it had like a good amount. Like it might have also got like screenplay might have been nominated. Whatever it was nominated for, it didn't win any of them. Yeah. Which that's another, but it that's still another is a thing can that, winner. Was, that was brought up about uh, Bennett Miller again trying to figure out why he doesn't direct more is every one of his movies has had two Academy Award nominated actors like that got nominated Minimum. for his movie. Yeah. Yeah, because Jonah Hill and Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt got nominated for Academy Awards for Moneyball, and then Philip Seymour Hoffman and I can't remember who else was in Capote that got nominated. I think it was for like supporting actress uh, for one of the other people in it, but that also got nominated. So it's like 
yeah, again, the guy is winning awards. They, there's Academy Award nominations. They're critical successes. They're, I think they're all financial successes. I, I just don't know. I'm like, how does this guy not direct more movies? Like, does he just not want to? Is he just not, not interested in it? No, and, and Foxcatcher, which was shot in here, Pittsburgh area, got the state tax credit. It was shot cheap, and like I said, the only the, sh- the most expensive shot is probably the world the world's competition where they have all the extras. There's not a lot of effects. Like Dave Schultz busts down a door, you don't see him. He's just oh, fucking around with a broken do- like door by the time you see him. I mean, the biggest effect probably was Channing Tatum smashing his head into a mirror, which might have been like one take. They might say we only have one mirror for you to break. I watched the movies again right before we talk about them. If I had had this planned a lot longer and, uh, you know, maybe we had some work in the area, I could talk to, like, the special effects guy that was on this movie and be like, tell me how many mirrors you went through. You know, like, that would be cool to know. And this movie is going to be 10 years old this year, which is wild because that's the last time I saw it. I saw it in theaters. I watched it again for this. That's it. I have not revisited this movie in a while. But it is weird because I wasn't thinking about Bennett Miller at all in any degree and I had watched Moneyball not too long ago like rewatched it and I think because I was watching The Master just you know weeks ago I was like I still bought Capote for like five dollars I never watched that movie and I totally forgot that that was Bennett Miller but yeah afterwards when I'm looking at his filmography I'm like fuck he's done four movies one's a documentary Capote Moneyball Foxcatcher I mean there's time between them but then this is like, yeah, his long gap. So maybe he'll maybe he'll pull the um, Terrence Malick, like you said. Maybe he'll come back in 20 years and he'll start making two movies a year. We'll have a, a party scene with a bunch of people in it that don't know they're in a Bennett Miller movie. <laughs> I do think it's interesting, though, that we are technically, for at least these three episodes that we're doing, we are a true crime podcast. It's movies based on true crime and not us figuring out anything. But my thoughts seem way overloaded because even with next week, we're going to be doing Killers of the Flower Moon. I'll get into that when we, we talk about it. The, they're the real life events because of this theme that you fucking chose. There's so much more than the movie. There's so much information out there. All of them have books. Yeah. Like Zodiac had two books by Robert Gray Smith. There's at least a book by Mark Schultz. Killers of the Flower Moon is the fucking book. And somebody else has also written a book on the same situation without, I don't think, as much information about what was going on. I mean, it was no no secret as, as to what was happening. Maybe it'll be a little bit nicer when we move into the next theme and, and it calms down a little bit. Even when they're not dense, there's a lot of stuff that you can dive into afterwards if you're really interested. You can get all the answers that you need. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Chuck, I love having a conversation with you, and we'll keep this thing going next week. Bye, pod people. We are Cinema Demore. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.